What's going on guys? Welcome to Everything Always. My name's Michael Roman. Now while yesterday's Q3 earnings call had a ton of reveals, the biggest of which that Disney would in fact be moving forward with the video on demand release for Mulan, opening the door and paving the way for the same sort of release for Marvel Studios and Black Widow at the end of this year, if that should be the only way they can safely do so. We covered that yesterday in a video I'll make sure to link at the end of this, but there were some official quotes about the upcoming Disney Plus Marvel series including Falcon the Winter Soldier and WandaVision. We're going to break down exactly what was said about those shows and the update for when we finally will get an official announcement. We now know when that'll be coming from Disney and Marvel Studios as well, and it's not that too far off. We're going to break everything down, but first, if you could grab the subscribe button, we're giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros, as well as a whole slew of other Marvel-related stuff, including this insane one-fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill and our third and final Infinity Saga box set. If you want to be entered to win, all you have to do, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and if you want, stick around to the end of the video, we'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there. Now, as we mentioned yesterday in the Black Widow video, a little bit of Google and or digging, and you can easily find the link to the Q3 earnings call, meaning Disney know this is basically a public announcement and are not going to mix words in any sort of way as it's going to make news, especially for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision, the two Disney Plus shows left to come out this year. But that doesn't mean that there's not a plan, and the Disney CEO, Bob Chopic, even addressed the shows mentioning Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki by name, and this was the quote. He called them fabulous and said, it is such a priority, we are hopeful that these will be coming shortly and we can get them out soon. This was followed by an official update that Disney will be having a follow-up Investor's Day where they will actually be revealing stuff about the Disney Plus shows, meaning even though he said these were a priority and they're coming soon, and that implies that we're going to get at least one if not both of the shows this year again such a priority and coming soon definitely means in the next six months we're also going to be getting a disney's investor day which we'll definitely cover here at the channel as soon as we know the date for that this fall in the next 60 to 90 days that will have official release dates and updates for falcon and the winter soldier wandavision loki some of the other disney plus tv series that were set to go to production this year and have had some major castings here real recently and that will be super exciting for fans that are still chomping at the bit to get a single Marvel release this year. Now, as far as it goes with Mulan in this video on demand release, again, by the end of the year, if they can't safely release Black Widow, I've been saying it the whole time, I never thought they'd go that route, but with Mulan being done now, and if it is this way at the end of the year, it's possible Disney Plus could not only see WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but we could be getting Black Widow there as well. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below. How hype are you for the official announcements when they come, and do you believe since we're back on set and filming for Shang-Chi and it looks like that's getting done safely, they might be able to knock out the reshoots for WandaVision that are super limited and finish the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and actually get it out this year. I think it's looking like a possibility. Let me know all your thoughts down below in the comments and quickly, let's get into the giveaway stuff before I let you go. We're still giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros, the next of which is at the 700,000 subscriber mark. All you have to do to be entered to win, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, Leave a like and a comment on this video and that'll automatically enter you to win all the rest of the prizes here at the channel like this insane one-fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill. Now if you're not familiar with collectibles like these, these are no way action figures at an almost a full three feet tall, 30 inches. This is an immaculately sculpted museum quality representation of the character from XM Studios which holds the license overseas as well as our third and final Infinity Saga box set. 
Now we've given two away at the channel already this year, and if you're not familiar with these, they were limited in 4,000 to pre-order last year, and as soon as they were announced, they sold out and have absolutely shot up in value on the secondary market. We're giving away our third and final one during the holiday season, towards the end of the year, probably during the month of December. If you want to be entered to win either of the PlayStations, the limited edition one-fourth scale Beta Ray Bill or this Infinity Saga box set, all the same rules will always apply. Hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell with notifications turned on, leave a like and a comment on this video, and because it's truly random, the more videos you like and comment on, the better chance you have of winning. All winners will be announced at the end of videos the same way we're doing here, and if you've missed any previous winner announcements, no worries, all you have to do, scroll back through the channel, look for the winner announcement and the sub count in the title, click on that video, and scroll to the end. My name's Michael Roman, this is Everything Always Guys, thanks so much for checking out the channel, and to those of you who have been rocking with me since the beginning, as we've now crossed into our third year here at the channel, I cannot thank you enough, and if you've just found the channel, stick around, we'll be posting again real, real soon. What's going on guys? Welcome to Everything Always. My name's Michael Roman. Now the good news is, is that the Marvel Studios and by extension MCU news cycle has been more busy in the last eight days than the last three months combined. Of course, leading up to the Q3 earnings call earlier this week, Shang-Chi back on set, marking the beginning of filming for the first time since the delay. And now some brand new news as it applies to Captain Marvel 2, finally adding a director. We're going to break down this new deadline report, who the director is, where you might know her from, why that makes sense in context for what we already know about this sequel and a couple of other details included in this deadline article but first if you could grab the subscribe button we're giving away two playstation 4 pros as well as a whole slew of other marvel related stuff including this insane one-fourth scale xm studios beta ray bill and our third infinity saga box set if you want to be entered to win all you have to do hit the subscribe button then hit the notification bell leave a like and a comment on this video and if you want stick around at the end of the video we'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there so breaking late last evening in an exclusive from Deadline under the headline, Captain Marvel 2, Candyman's Nia DaCosta to direct the sequel. They go on to say, quote, in what is sure to be one of the bigger directing jobs to be taken off the table in recent months, we are hearing that Nia DaCosta, who directed the anticipated reboot of Candyman, has been tapped as director on Marvel's sequel to Captain Marvel. They then go on to highlight something that I think we all forget. While there are sort of staple franchises where they keep the director one movie to the next in the case of Spider-Man or maybe something like Gatman. It's also quite common and there is a ton of precedent for Marvel Studios to change directors mid-franchise. They did it with Thor, they did it with Captain America, they're now doing it with Doctor Strange, and they're doing it with Captain Marvel as well. Obviously a departure from the original two co-directors on the first film. They then also go on to point out that Megan McDonnell, the story editor for the WandaVision series, also penned the script for this film. I want to say she also wrote for Rick and Morty, but don't quote me on that. I'm sure someone will know and correct me in the comments that of course Brie Larson is returning. I think we all understand that. Now I'm going to go ahead before we say any more and issue a light spoiler warning because some of this is coming from industry insiders and sort of crosses over into the spoiler and leak category. So if you want to go into Captain Marvel 2 completely fresh to the ideas that the director and the storyteller want to bring you, you might want to back out now. But one of the original leaks, one of the very first things that we ever heard about Captain Marvel 2 before we knew that it was possibly going to be an adaptation for Secret 
Invasion is that it could be a horror film and in fact in lieu of Doctor Strange possibly not taking that title with the change to the theme, the storyline narrative and of course now the director and as well as New Mutants being detached from the MCU as well, this actually could be. And then you take a look at the director that they tapped to do this, the person that directed this upcoming Candyman sequel and this is purely speculation but if there's anything at all to this being a horror film, it would fall right in line with the most recent project from this director. Now, the villain at the time was also rumored to be something along the lines of The Brood, and it could be a film sort of along the lines of Alien. Now, we now know from industry insider and friend of the channel, Mikey Sutton, this has been corroborated in a couple of other places as well, that Secret Invasion is the most likely storyline to be adapted for the Captain Marvel sequel, with a lead-in from the as-yet-unannounced Agents of Sword TV show for Disney Plus that we've reported on at length over the last six months. And with that, we know that the scrolls will be invading and sort of identity switching that can still be an awfully suspenseful film and I think depending on how Candyman plays out we may get an inkling of why she was hired for this role I think it's also super interesting to think about the size and scope of this film again coming from industry insider and friend of the channel Mikey Sutton last week and sort of echoed around the industry that Captain Marvel might be somewhere along the lines of a civil war type film with inclusions of a ton of other heroes introductions for heroes like Nova and including for major heroes like Spider-Man and in that you think about this being a directorial debut where the Rousseau's had the second Captain America to lead into something like Civil War if this is truly on the size and scope of an Avengers film having that many different heroes or if they're adapting the secret invasion storyline again for Captain Marvel 2 and this is her directorial debut you have to think that the future could be very bright for this director especially if she nails it because that's the sort of way it goes with Marvel Studios and again, the Secret Invasion storyline is pretty complex and no slouch. I'm super excited. They seem to have picked a director with grit. We all know how Candyman the storyline goes and what this upcoming reboot is supposed to be. If you've heard any of the rumors, I don't want to drop any spoilers, but that's the kind of filmmaker I definitely want coming to the MCU and a vision for something like Captain Marvel. And here's where I'll refer back to the Deadline article where they called it a fresh voice bringing in a new director. There were problems with the Captain Marvel first in installment that had nothing to do with a Brie Larson or B, the way that her character Captain Marvel was written, rather just the film itself, something with the editing and the storytelling and as well as the cinematography. And I think I've definitely defended Brie Larson at length at this channel, trying to explain that her character is written not to be likable. She definitely has this hubris that sort of is off-putting and through an arc will become endeared to her character if you haven't already. That's not Brie Larson's fault. The film wasn't Brie Larson's fault either. I'm very excited about a new director and a new director like this at that, especially, again, if it's going to be the Secret Invasion storyline. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below. How hyped for you that the MCU news cycle is actually starting up again, that we're starting to get back-to-back -back reports, new directors, and of course, with new directors and the starting up of production comes new castings, and I am anticipating if not very soon at that new Investors Day that they're going to announce the Disney Plus stuff that we're going to hear about some new castings as well. Let me know all your thoughts down below and quickly let's get into the giveaway stuff before I let you go. We're still giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros. A lot of you have asked, of course, we'll switch over to the PlayStation 5 once they come out at the end of the year, but with delays to technology this year and limits to pre-orders, we're not going to do that till we have them in hand. In the meantime, PlayStation 4 Pros it is, the next of which at the 700,000 subscriber mark, all you have to do to be 
entered to win, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and that'll automatically enter you to win all the rest of the prizes here at the channel, like this insane one-fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill. Now, if you're not familiar with collectibles like these, this is in no way an action figure at almost a full three feet or 30 inches. This is an immaculately sculpted museum quality piece, as well as our third limited edition Infinity Saga box set. Now, these were limited to 4,000 in pre-order and sold out literally the day or two that they were listed and have absolutely shot up in value on the secondary market. We've already given away two this year at the channel and we'll be giving this one away at the end of the year during the holiday season. If you want to be entered to win either of the PlayStations, the Beta Ray Bill or this limited edition Infinity Saga box set, all the same rules will always apply and for future prizes here at the channel. All you have to do hit the subscribe button and be a subscriber here at the channel, then hit the notification bell with notifications turned on so you can better keep up with the channel. Like and comment on this video, and the more videos you like and comment on, because it's truly random, the better chance you have of winning. All winners will be announced at the end of videos, the same way we're doing here, and if you've missed any of the previous winner announcements, we've given away a ton of prizes already in the first half of this year. No worries, all you have to do, scroll back through the channel, look for the winner announcement and the sub count in the title, click on that video and scroll to the end. My name's Michael Roman, this is everything always guys thanks so much if you have been with me since the beginning over these last two and a half years i cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for rocking with me and if you're just finding this channel for the first time awesome stick around we're going to be posting some brand new marvel content real real soon Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is one MCU title moving forward with videos showing the film's production in Australia with major visual clues pointing to the movie's mystery plot and what I believe could be not only the movie's dark opening scene, but the insane way it could blow open Marvel's future Avengers story in a post credit scene. Now, I've been waiting to go into Shang-Chi aside from some bonkers theories about Tony Stark's old tech, but let's now talk about this dude. Spoiler Spoiler warning though, because I'm gonna get into some rumored plot leaks, nothing you wouldn't be able to guess from the comics mythology stuff the cast and crew have said, and hot scoops from Sydney's local news. Knifey spoony, that's a green wall. Sorry about that. So, Shang-Chi is Marvel Comics Bruce Lee. Literally, he was conceived as a martial arts hero directly inspired by Bruce Lee's films, namely the massive hit Enter the Dragon, which came out months before Shang-Chi's Marvel debut in 1973. Shang-Chi is the son of his enemy Fu Manchu, and yes, over the years, Marvel has had to kind of course correct some of his earlier depictions, which the movie adaptation now appears to be very sensitive to in front of and behind the camera. Martial arts badass Simu Liu is playing the title role after posting a long shot post on social media saying he'd be down to do it, which we can do that because I will play anything, anything. I'm trying to be in the MCU, please. I can act. I, I have headshots. I took improv classes. I know how to do it. Anyway, one of Shang-Chi's recurring foes is the Mandarin, also a big Iron Man villain. And this is where this becomes very important to the MCU you already know. Mandarin is tied to the Ten Rings of Power, pieces of ancient McLuhan tech that he recovered from crashed alien wreckage. Each ring possesses the spirit of an ancient warrior and endow the wielder with a different mystical power. Yeah, we're kind of talking Infinity Stones language here, but I don't think Marvel is going to go right back in the direction of magic jewelry. Tony Leung will be playing the Mandarin in Shang-Chi, and set imagery reveals what I believe to be his lair, a large 
large golden roof structures surrounded by smaller ones. And if you look closely in the corner of that compound, a dome that I think could be a fighting pit or an arena that could be the setting of a tournament that the Mandarin is involved with. More on that in a bit. Now, in the MCU, the Ten Rings refers to the network of criminal enterprises that we've seen since the beginning. The Ten Rings was connected to the terrorist cell headed up by Raza and the first Iron Man. And the guy who gave Ivan Venko whiplash forged travel documents in Iron Man 2 was a Ten Rings operative. In Iron Man 3, Aldrich Killian used British actor Trevor Slattery to pose as a fake version of the Mandarin. But then, in the short film All Hail the King, documentary filmmaker Jackson Norris revealed himself to be a Ten Rings member with a wrist tattoo, abducting Slattery from Seagate Prison to answer to the real Mandarin for stealing his identity. You took his name, and now he wants it back. No, sorry. I still don't get it. Well, before we continue, losing your hair is a bummer. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. We don't want that, we'll get cold. Well, with Keeps, it's easier and more affordable to get treatment for your hair loss and help you keep the hair that you have. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there, but at half the cost of your local pharmacy. And you don't even have to go to a doctor's office. You can do it all from home, where you're probably stuck right now. You meet with a doctor online and they ship the treatment right to your home. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors in nearly 100,000 men trust keeps for the hair loss prevention medication. So if you're noticing that you're losing your hair, do something about it. For a limited time, go to keeps.com slash new or click the link in the description to receive 50% off your first order. What a deal. That same 10 rings tattoo also showed up on the neck of one of the interested buyers of Darren Cross's yellow jacket tech in the Ant-Man movie. And if you've been listening closely, various clues dropped by these fellas could signal this network's true agenda. Raza lectured about the history of Genghis Khan and Asian dominance. The bow and arrow once was the pinnacle of weapons technology. It allowed the great Genghis Khan to rule from the Pacific to the Ukraine. A man with a dozen of these can rule all of Asia. And Norris echoed this history lesson. So, you mean to tell me that you don't know the history of the Mandarin himself? He was a warrior king. He inspired generations of men through the Middle Ages perhaps even further back in time. Now, rumored casting reports speculated that Shang-Chi could feature a ruler of a distant ancient kingdom believed to be Genghis Khan in this movie, shown via flashbacks with Genghis Khan being a possible ancestor of the Mandarin himself, whose origin could be set during China's Song Dynasty and the Turco-Persian Seljuk Dynasty. Another recent casting notice in Sydney is looking for archers, suggesting that Raz's line about Genghis Khan's bows and arrows might be a history we see in Shang-Chi. Aquafina is joining the cast, and social media posts from Michelle Yeoh and comedian Ronnie Chang suggest that they'll be joining the cast as well, with some rumored casting of fighter Florian Montianu, Big Nasty, Sarah Finn, Rosalind Chow, and Fala Chen. But it's not really clear if or who these actors would be playing. But based on these set images and rumors based on the movie's influences from Enter the Dragon, it sounds like a big part of the Shang-Chi plot will be a major fighting tournament. See, in Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee gets invited to participate in a tournament by the villain Han and encouraged by the British intelligence to participate in it in order to bring down Han's criminal operation. The movie is awesome and it's been hugely influential, not just on the character of Shang-Chi in the comics, who has teamed up with British intelligence MI6 agents like Clive Resin, Leka Wu, and Black Jar Tar, but it's also been influential on all kinds of things like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, 
You know, the stuff we grew up with, these big bonkers international tournaments filled with diverse eclectic fighters. So with this movie, it's speculated that Shang-Chi would have to enter this tournament either on behalf of the Mandarin or against the Mandarin in order to win the prize of the tournament, the Ten Rings of Power. Big Nasty could be another warrior in the tournament, and Shang-Chi could be aided by the MI6 in order to stop the Mandarin from getting those rings. You know, kind of like how in Casino Royale, James Bond had to enter the poker tournament and he was backed by MI6 and the CIA in order to bring down the bad guy. And with Shang-Chi and the Mandarin, we're talking real bad, folks. Because I believe the dark opening scene to introduce him in the coolest way would be to have him kill off Trevor Slattery, the Mandarin imposter from Iron Man 3. Just because at Comic-Con, Kevin Feige seemed really clear that that All Hail the King short was very important. And in that short, Norris made it clear that he wasn't going to be the one who kills Slattery, suggesting the boss is going to be the one to do it. But then after that opening scene, I think the struggle many of us have with this movie is how this martial arts plot could fit into, you know, the MCU, a broader cosmic cinematic universe set across galaxies and dimensions. One theory I had is that the Ten Rings of Power might be connected to powerful rings we've seen throughout the MCU, like Raza had a ring, the King of Wakanda has a vibranium ring, the Sorcerer Supreme uses a sling ring, maybe Namor's got a ring made out of coral and pearls, you know. But I still suspect Marvel Studios isn't going to go back to magic bling being a big deal. However, one future plot they have teased is Secret Wars. The Russo brothers themselves keep mentioning it in interviews, promising that it's going to be an even bigger crossover event than Endgame. Now, Secret Wars is a comic crossover in the 80s in which all of Marvel's heroes and villains are teleported to an interdimensional battlefield pitted against each other in a tournament by a figure called the Beyonder. So here is my theory for Shang-Chi. What if this tournament is being hosted by the Mandarin as a kind of bargain? in which he would get the Ten Rings of Power in exchange for Earth's deadliest hand-to-hand -hand warrior, the victorious Shang-Chi, handed off to the Beyonder to be transported to Battleworld and spar in a future Avengers Secret Wars. Think about it, the Beyonder could be the villain behind the villain teased in Shang-Chi's post credit scene, the way Thanos was teased in the post credit scene of Avengers. This could set up the next Avengers crossover event in Phase 5, making Shang-Chi the warrior on the front lines of it. Folks, Shang-Chi is scheduled for May 7th, 2021. Hopefully we'll get a trailer by the end of this year. Until then, join our nerdy discussion on our official Discord server by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash newrockstars. Follow me on Instagram at EAVoss, follow New Rockstars, and subscribe for breakdowns of everything you love. And you know, yeah, I, I think I could play the Beyonder. Well, let's get the movement started. Hashtag Voss for Beyonder. Come on, help me out. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Colin Tipton, who writes, So, it was announced yesterday that Mulan would be premiering on Disney+, Plus. yes, which we basically dedicated the whole show to, uh, with a $30 price tag. It surprised me because I figured if they weren't doing that with New Mutants, then there's no way that they would do that with any of their major projects. But here we are. My question simply is, why didn't they choose to try this with New Mutants first? Thanks, and keep up the great work. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, one of the things that a lot of people have been asking about ever since that news came out that they were going to be moving uh, Mulan to Disney Plus first, where you got to be a Disney Plus subscriber and you got to pay a $30 fee on top of that. 
Uh, a lot of people have been asking the questions, well, why didn't they do that with this movie? Why didn't they do that with that movie? How come they didn't? Like, I've been getting a lot of messages asking about 30 or 40 different films. Why didn't they do with this? But New Mutants is a logical one to ask about. Because New Mutants is a movie they that literally finished shooting like almost three years ago. They started shooting the film almost five years ago, which is crazy. These, these kids are going to be bringing their grandchildren to the right. world premiere when it finally happens. But they do finally have a date. So why do something like this with Mulan and not with New Mutants? To me, there are two primary reasons. One reason is this, is that I think they knew that doing it with New Mutants really wasn't going to tell them anything. Like, New Mutants isn't a property that has a, a lot of following already. I mean, a lot of people don't even know that it's associated with X-Men, even though the movie itself is very, very loosely associated with X-Men. Anyway, so so there's that. But, you know, it, it's not this thing like Mulan is a popular IP. It was a huge popular animated, blah, blah. It was going to be big. I don't know that Disney felt like we're going to learn anything by putting new mutants on. Like if nobody at all subscribes to it, that doesn't really tell us anything. And if 10 million people get it, that doesn't really tell us anything either. So number one, I don't think they felt like there was much that they could learn from it because it's a very different scenario than say Mulan is. It's also the fact that it's found money, right? Like Fox paid for it all. This was just a part of the acquisition. This movie was shot by the time Disney picked up new mutants. So there's that. Anything they get from a theatrical release is gravy. To Disney at this point. The other thing, and I think this might be the bigger thing, is you got to remember, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Remember a couple of weeks ago, people were asking, do you think at Comic-Con they're going to announce putting New Mutants on streaming? And I said, well, it's possible, but one of the big hurdles of that is that they actually have some contractual obligations with people involved in the film that this film gets a theatrical release. That's not always put into contracts, but this was a big deal. We talked about this before that New Mutants has some the has contractual obligations with I believe the director, a number of the cast, a couple of the producers that this film gets a theatrical release. So unless Disney wanted to step up, break out the checkbook and write some big checks to people to forego a theatrical release, which just makes the movie more expensive for them, that was going to be not insurmountable, but a hard one to sort of overcome. Aaron, I know you weren't here yesterday when we were talking about the whole idea about mm -hmm. Mulan moving, but when you think about, you know, the fact that they did choose Mulan to do this, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about, well, why did they choose Mulan instead of a movie like New Mutants? I think you hit it right there on the head because Mulan is really the litmus test. It is the big kahuna of what they have to offer that's on their slate. Um, Mulan has, as you said, a much wider audience. And also, you know, for anybody out there who has kids and... I don't yet, but I am a godmother and auntie to many, many, many children all over the country. And the number one thing when it comes to any new Disney movie that comes out is uh, the parents constantly saying, yep, I know every word of this movie because we have watched it 25 times. That is a movie that Mulan could be. Mulan could be the kind of movie that parents go, you know what, I'm willing to shell out 30 bucks because, you know, as Tom and I were talking last night, he was like, 30 bucks, that's a lot. And I go, well, think about it. If it was me, you, and two kids, plus, you know, soda, plus bathroom breaks, it makes a lot more sense to pay 30 bucks to watch it at home. But I'm sure you covered all that yesterday. The reality, though, is that if I'm a parent and I know that my kid is 
one of those kids who watches every Disney movie 20 times, I'm willing to pay that for Mulan because I know that we're going to get our money's worth. New Mutants, I don't necessarily know. I mean, what is the rating on New Mutants anyway? It's definitely not G. No, no, it's probably it's PG-13. Right. And so that's the thing is that automatically that's a huge market. And obviously, I know before I get anybody saying it, I know that it's not just children that are watching, but I'm specifically talking right now about those parents that are going to go, you know, my kids aren't going to watch New Mutants and they're not going to watch it 25 times. Well, also because it's partially being described as a horror film. That's like a exactly. Film, yeah. You know, it it does. It just doesn't have as wide of a reach. And it's also like I'll watch New Mutants. Will I watch it over and over and over again? Probably not. Whereas with Mulan, yeah, I want to see Mulan, but I also am going to want to rewatch Mulan whenever my nephews and my nieces come over. I'm going to want to rewatch Mulan whenever I'm with my godkids. You know, that's a movie that has the kind of staying power of being able to really get your money's worth, whereas New Mutants just doesn't. And I feel like, you know, this is one of those movies that, you know, they've held on so long. You might as well continue to hold on until you have the right scenario. And yeah, Disney paying extra money to get themselves out of a contract or to sidestep a certain aspect of a contract makes absolutely no sense. They are just going to try to make a, they're going to try to squeeze any juice they can out of New Mutants at this point. That's possible, and they're definitely not going to want to lose money on it. One of the other things about this, too, is this, is that right now, New Mutants, and they just did this, they just announced this at Comic-Con, they're keeping their August 28th release date. And, you know, how many, I mean, there are some theaters opening in the United States right now. I think, you know, Robert and I are talking about this, it seems like they're just, I feel like they're just going to keep that release date and put it out in whichever theaters are available to be Georgia. Like Georgia, but also uh, there's a number of other states. We went over the list of all the states that have some theaters open right now. Right. And because that does a couple things. Number one, again, they're just looking at any money they make on this thing in, bo in box office right now is just bonus at mm -hmm. this point. The other thing is it's kind of like an olive branch to the theatrical industry saying, hey, we're putting out a new movie in theaters, right. even though everything there's limited seating, all that kind of, we're doing that for you guys right now. I feel like it's a little bit of an olive branch to the movie fans out there that do want to go to the movies, whatever. So I think they're still going to stick with that. And that's another reason why they do that. Anyway, the well, question, what, what, really quick, just uh, to, to add on to that, I'm um, to ask you if this is the same thing. You know how like when a movie wants to be an Oscar contender, sometimes they'll only theatrically release it in like New York in LA so that they have that is that sort of a similar thing yeah is it is that similar like as long as they put it in certain number of theaters they fulfill their contractual obligation and they can just throw it on the platform oh oh yeah that's definitely it. okay like, when once they put it thank in you the for theaters, clarifying then they can start because right now they when they put it in theaters they're going to have to then observe the theatrical window which is three months right 90 days right but they can't start that clock until they put it in theaters so once they put it in theaters in august they might just be thinking let's get into whatever theaters are out there on august 28th that way we can start the countdown clock of the theatrical window so in august uh september october november. so by end of november we can actually put it out on streaming and we've fulfilled all of our contractual yeah. obligations so that's one of the big things there question is for you guys why do you think maybe Disney opted to go with releasing a Mulan on Disney Plus as opposed to something like a New Mutants? Do you agree with our reasons? Do you have some others? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, let's move into our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by David Hoffman, who writes, Hello, John and company. According to Deadline, Captain Marvel has found its director, yes, they have, 
in Candyman, uh, in Candyman's Nia DaCosta. What do you think of this choice? Do you think she is a good fit? Thanks and keep bringing the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, David. And yeah, listen, one of the films that, you know, Kevin Feige has clearly indicated they're looking at, they, they're going to do, it's absolutely set in stone, but we haven't heard a lot of movement on, is Captain Marvel 2. Now, you got to keep in mind, Captain Marvel 2 was inevitable. It was going to come. It's one of the bigger hits the last couple of years. Made $1.1 something billion dollars at the box office, which was crazy. I quite enjoyed Captain Marvel. Not in my top half of favorite Marvel films, to be honest, but but still one that I really quite enjoyed. I liked it. Just not, not a top shelf Marvel film for me. But it has a lot of open doors of where they can go. I think Brie, you know, Brie Larson's an Academy Award winning actress. All that kind of stuff. They've got the screenplay has been written. So the screenplay is done. The question has been who's going to direct it. Now you got to keep in mind that aside from say James Gunn or the Russos. Marvel likes to change the directors in the individual franchises. They switch directors in Iron Man. They switch directors in Captain America. They switch directors. Uh, what was the other one I was I was just thinking about? They switched directors with Thor. Like they went from Kenneth Branagh in the first one. They switched that one too. So it's not a big surprise that they decided to switch up directors for Captain Marvel. In this case, they went with Nia DaCosta. Now, Nia DaCosta is interesting because I have, first of all, obviously I haven't seen Candyman yet. I haven't seen Candyman yet. I did watch another feature she did. I think it was her first feature called Little Woods. Mm -hmm, her first. That she did with Lily James. Ah, uh, Lily James. Um, and um, uh, Tessa Thor, Thompson. Thorger. Yes, Tessa Thompson and Tessa Thompson, which wasn't great, but I enjoyed it. Like, I liked it. And it was just, it showed what she could do with a small budget and just telling a story and a narrative story and working with higher caliber actors. Liked it. Obviously, Jordan Peele and others liked her so much, they gave her the Candyman reboot. And apparently the studio liked what she did with the Candyman reboot because now she's landed a Captain Marvel gig. So to me and for me, there's not a big enough sample size for me to sit here and say, oh my God, this is a great selection or hmm, I really don't see this one. I, I just don't have a big enough sample size. I thought Little Woods was a decent little film for what it was. I haven't seen Candyman yet. So come back and ask me again what I think about her being selected once I've seen Candyman. Clearly they were impressed. Clearly they like what they saw and they gave it to her. So I am, as far as how do I feel about Nia DaCosta getting this gig, I'm agnostic about it, right? Because again, I just don't have a big enough sample size, but I trust Kevin Feige. He seems to know how to fit the right directors that get his vision Unlike Kathleen Kennedy working with her directors in Star Wars, Kevin Feige seems to know how to pick the right directors who are in total sync with what his vision is and he understands what they want to bring to the table. So, hey, I give Kevin Feige the benefit of the doubt. Aaron, I don't know if you've had a chance to see Little Woods. I know you haven't seen Candyman yet, but what do you think about this selection of Nia DaCosta to do Captain Marvel 2? Ooh, I'm so excited. And here's why I'm excited. There has been, uh, there, there is a, um, a history of 
horror film directors making the transition to doing these superhero yeah, directors. Yeah. We have Sam Raimi with Spider-Man. We have, uh, you know, obviously Sam Raimi has a plethora of horror films. You know, we have uh, Scott Derrickson, James Wan. You know, there, there's a there's a whole list of these directors who have made the transition from horror to superhero, maybe back to horror, back and forth. And so I think that Nia DaCosta's experience in with Candyman, I mean, obviously the studio is seeing something that we are not. And so, uh, and, and I also have a great amount of respect for Jordan Peele. Um, I think not only is he an impeccable storyteller, but also he has a really good eye, not only for talent in front of the camera, but for having his finger on the pulse of who else is out there that yeah. maybe is not yet on the studio's radar. So I love the fact that Jordan Peele really went to bat for her. And, you know, and I, and I think that this is very telling of what they are seeing. Um, I have not had a chance to see Little Woods, but I, I'm it's on my list for this weekend of movies that I want to go back and check out. Um, but I think that this is one of those scenarios where there's so many people who are in the know of what's going on with Candyman, um, her, you know, her, how she works as a director that are really rooting for her. Um, and like I said, given her background in storytelling in the world of horror, and as we've seen so many horror directors making that transition, what I'm looking forward to and Captain Marvel 2 from Nia DaCosta is seeing even more uh, uh, character development and even more of her of, of, of her story as a person, um, well, the person side of the human side of her uh, coming out. And, and I just think this is really exciting. I can't wait to see Candyman, even though I'm not huge on watching horror films. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it because clearly she gave them something in Candyman that made them go, this is our person. This is our director. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And congratulations to her for being invited into the club. You know what? You brought up a great point that I haven't really considered. We are starting to see this emerging pattern of horror directors being able to make that transition and bring that sense. Because you look, and that makes perfect sense to me because now that I think about it, you know, we always talk about how movies are experiential events, right. right? You need to deliver that experience. If you're doing a comedy, make me laugh. You know, if you're doing like a dramatic thing, make me feel. If you're doing a horror, make me scared. And I think when you're dealing with like, like comedy, horror is one of those ones where the experiences have to be right on your sleeve, right? You, you deliver that experience on a very on the sleeve, right up at the surface level to bring that. And I think there's a lot of similarities with that with comic book films where you're trying to deliver a similar type of experience, just a little bit different from the horror one to that. And maybe that's and Derrickson, obviously making the transition from all the horror he's done into Dr. Strange, which I thought was a great transition. Mm -hmm. James Wan was a great example of that. The Sam Raimi one is a great example of that. I, I love that comparison. I Thank even you. thought about it. You know what? You just made me a little bit more excited about her directing this film. Wow, I wonderful. Even, again, I, it's, I've only seen one movie of hers, mm -hmm. not a big enough sample. Sure. Time, but I love that comparison you just made. So and also think about like the action. You know, in, in yeah. every horror film, there's got to be – you have to be able to figure out – 
action has to be woven in as if it's a symphony. You can't just yes. all of a sudden, you know, hit somebody over the head with it. It really ha it has in every action scene. It has that arc of how that's going to be created. And um, and and so those action scenes in horror, whether it's a chase scene or building up to an attack, those things also lend themselves to being able to do an action scene in a superhero film. I feel like it's kind of along a similar wavelength. So that kind of gives me a little more, but I'm, I'm really glad that I could, uh, that I could make you more excited about this film. Uh, and I, my, my, my day is complete. And you know, the last time I was, I was, I had a MCU director that I really didn't have enough personal of a sample size of them was Peyton Reed when he came on and did Ant-Man mm -hmm. and I ended up, loving Ant-Man. Like, I, I, again, it's just Kevin Feige. And, and again, when the Russo brothers were brought in to do Captain America Civil War, everybody's like, wait, the you, me, and Dupree guys? Right. But Kevin, Kevin Feige just knows when he's got a director or set of directors in front of him that understand and get on the same wavelength with yeah. him and understand his vision, and he sees what uniqueness they can bring to it, and matching that up. And there haven't really been, maybe Thor Dark World was a little bit of a drop of the ball there, but other than that, he's always synced up perfectly with his directors, and maybe that could work in this film's favor a lot. Question is for you guys. What do you think about Nia being selected to direct the Captain Marvel sequel? Again, if you, maybe you're like me, you probably are like me, don't have a lot of a sample size, but what are your thoughts on this overall? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys.